Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Randall Show, we have another special baseball episode. Kind of answer two big questions pretty laboratively in a, in, a, in a good way, but as a PT and a strength coach, when do we outsource some help with mechanics and working with pitching coaches and how to pick a good pitching coach? But then also, we kind of talk about Olympic lifting and baseball pitchers. Reasons why we don't, reasons why you probably shouldn't, and probably reasons why like, you know there's better things to do than Olympic lifts in baseball pitchers. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. We have another special baseball episode. Give it up to Dan. <laughs> Somebody just commented, by the way, on uh, I think the last baseball episode, you like had like a nice... Like, did I have something? You had something at the very end, and somebody like specifically commented it was a great addition by Dan. Nice, wow. Which yeah. was which was solid. Good. So good stuff. But another great baseball episode today. We're up at Champion PT Performance up in Boston. Dan Pope, myself, Dave Tilly, Lenny Macrina, Nick Esposito, one of our strength coaches here at Champion. Good focus on the baseball sports performance training with us here at. at um, at uh, champion, so thought it'd be great to have him and his insight into this. And um, students, let me see. Let's go. We'll go. Let's go this way this time. Nikhil Shaquille O'Neal Harani from the University of Kentucky. Drew Doobie Doobie Dudek from the College of the University of the Belmont. And Casey and JoJo and the Sunshine Band. K Cuff Kevin Coughlin from UMass Lowell. Power. Boom. We're getting there That's with these. Are we getting sponsored by Chromebooks? I think we're getting. I think our nick, best groups. Our nickname game is going to the next level. Nickname game. The nickname. Wow. The Despacito. I think we just end the episode on Dave's <laughs> terrible joke right there. That was perfect. So, all right. So another great baseball episode. Who's going first? I am again. Nikhil, let's I see it. Okay, we have Adam from Houston, and in the young athlete whose throwing motor pattern are insufficient and leading to pathology. Do you recommend focusing on retraining motor pattern? Second, with all levels of throwers, when you when would you recommend to a throwing coach versus retraining in PT if the PT is capable and knowledgeable? Advice on this is conflicting because there's no one throwing, there's no one single throwing pattern. All right, let, let me let, let me re, try to rephrase that. So the second half of the question was, as a physical therapist, right? Mm-hmm. As a physical therapist or a strength coach, which I think is applicable for both, when do you outsource to a pitching coach, right? I think that was a good one, which is good. Nick and I literally just yeah. talked about this last week. Um, and what was the first half again? In a young athlete whose throwing motor pattern are insufficient and leading to pathology, do you recommend focusing on retraining motor pattern? All right, so in a young athlete, let's just, those are a lot of, it was like Dave wrote that question. That was good, a lot of big words. So let's say uh, a, a young athlete with bad mechanics. Can I paraphrase that as bad mechanics? But they said leading to pathology, which is like a, an aggressive comment, right? Because does, does bad mechanics lead to, lead to pathology or does throwing lead to pathology and, your, and what, how good your mechanics are just alter how stressful they are? 
but I don't know. This is like a bigger answer to the question. I don't want to get too much into that, but um, I'll start, I guess, with the mechanical question and say like that is most youth baseball players don't have good mechanics, right? When you, if you look at the literature, which has actually been studied, and essentially it shows that youth don't have a good amount of linear rotational drive. They don't have hip shoulder separation, right? And they don't have like a long stride length, right? They just don't have these things. Like, so I think what it comes down to is that they're just, kids they're just little kids they're short they're small they're not powerful they're trying to throw the same ball that we're throwing especially when you make the jump to the big diamond now and all of a sudden like your little kids got big diamond so it, it, kids having inefficient movement patterns is always always something we work towards and we always say that you should work with a big a good pitching coach to be able to establish those baseline mechanics I, I think that's where I would start with kind of answering this question is, uh, yes, always try to do that because whatever you ingrain neurobiomechanically into the, into the motor patterns for that youth is going to be really kind of challenging to change down the road. So that would be my answer for that. So then, Nick, as a strength coach now, a kid comes to you and has different different or mechanics that you think aren't ideal how do you handle it when they do that what what do you do and when what's your threshold do you always send to a pitching coach or what's your threshold to start collaborating so you know from my experience being a pitcher and working with all different types of like pts and strength coaches the thing that you know really helped me the most was actually having someone that that studied throwing that studied like the mechanics of throwing so like I was pretty fortunate to have some pitching coaches over the years that actually understood separation and understood stride length and stuff like that. So I think it's going to come down to, you know, is the strength side going to overlap into the throwing side and are we collaborating in agreement? I think that's the bigger aspect too because, you know, you can get a lot of egos involved in that world and it becomes, you know, who is, you know, teaching the right thing, who's, you know, being counterproductive versus being productive. And then the, the last thing you want to do is put that athlete in the middle of that stuff. Right. That's a good so. point. So a couple, couple of tidbits I got from that was one is that, you know, try to, I, I think, is try to establish a relationship yeah. with at least one coach that you can communicate with because you either you share ideas you share ethical ideas yeah. like how to how to handle kids how to not burn out kids stuff like that but maybe you also have some skill-based uh, you know like uh, commonality you know uh, of where you kind of have an agreement of, of how you should train kids so I like both of those so uh, it's an interesting kind of thing though that Nick brought up Nick used to pitch right in college too right like so Nick, Nick, I mean he's not like an amateur kind of pitcher right so Nick knows a thing or two about pitching pitching but he's not a pitching coach right so you know so nick so what do you do i mean do you do you what when when do you say all right i it's time to outsource to a pitching coach pretty i mean with with some of the guys we have here that they're seeing pitching coaches is it's finding what's the right fit i think is the best way to describe that because they can come in and you know are they focusing on like do they need stability stability on their lead leg do they need strength in their lead leg how's their you know, explosion from their hip side, like, you know, there's so many things that we can focus on in the strength world that can immediately impact throwing it without really having much of, like, I guess, like, collaboration needed involved on that if you know, you know, what you're looking for from, like, a throwing mechanic standpoint. Right, that makes sense. So so you, some of the things we do are yeah. going to have an influence on the mechanics. Yeah. Right, that so makes sense. devil's advocate, you have a 12-year-old who we know has, you know, no strength, no power, he's, he's never really worked out, dad wants him to get better mechanics, you know, just by him working out, he's going to probably 
get better and his mechanics are going to improve over the next couple of years anyway because we know he's going to throw poorly at 12, but he's going to throw better at 14. Like, what's the game you play there with, with the dad, with the kid, with the coach? You know what I mean? Yeah. We're appeasing everybody and sending him to a pitching coach. I'd say yes, just get him exposed, you know. But yeah, I, let me. I'll just jump in before you answer too. Is like, why wouldn't you send to a pitching right. coach? Yeah, yeah. You yeah know, I mean, but. as long as like I think like Lenny brought up, like if everyone's happy involved, I think that's the other side of it too. And definitely outsourcing when you need to, because there's obviously going to be other people that you know the athlete has worked with in the past, whether it's their high school coach or their middle school coach, there's so many opinions that the kid's getting, and as long as he's getting positives from all those different voices, right. that's kind of the end goal Like on my end, is making sure they're not getting like overloaded with all these different things they got to focus on. I like that. So it's, it sounds like Nick has like a little bit of criteria in his head. Sometimes outsourcing could be counterproductive if you don't have the right person. Yeah, right. I think that's kind of my big take home. So, all right, Len, it's post-op. Tommy John, you're playing catch with the kid. You've, you've outlined his, uh, his uh, interval throwing <laughs> program, right? You see bad mechanics. What do you do? do, right. you, what, do you, what do you say? When do you stop talking and say, we got to get you with the pitching coach? How do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, I have basic understanding i am not a pitching coach i I have basic stuff that i can give uh for some from some clues um if he's going through a throwing program i expect him to be a little raw at the beginning he hasn't thrown in at least four or five months so i expect some of that to have to come back but if he's beginning to go off the mound and he's still looking really uh you know look way off it just does not look like himself or he has old videos that we can see then I'll, I'll get a pitching coach involved. And maybe it's just like, hey, grab one of our pitching coaches that we have here. We have the luxury. And say, hey, can you take a quick look? And maybe that just spawns, that spawns a conversation where he's like, hey, I want to work with this guy. So to me, it, it's getting just that initial conversation. But I, I think, you know, going, stop, beginning to go off the mound, I think, is when I would really, you know, I don't want him to get into really bad habits at that point. Yeah, especially coming back from an injury, too. Like, oftentimes that's not your real mechanics. Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, unless the person just has unlimited resources and doesn't mind doing lessons all their life, like, mm-hmm. like I mean, fine. But like, they're, as they get comfortable, their mechanics are going to kind of, evolve on their yeah. own it's not necessarily a mechanical thing it's a confidence in their limb type yeah. thing almost yeah. sometimes right. so i mean i i would just kind of summarize and just kind of say like from my perspective i'd rather you outsource than not outsource you know there's nothing more annoying than you know think from the pitching coach perspective if the pitching coach said don't come see this physical therapist i'll give you a couple exercises you're probably going to be annoyed right and that's probably not in the best interest of the, of the kid Right, so if you're PT or strength coach, it's going to help you in your practice to outsource because you're going to start a relationship like Nick kind of like kind of like really fe- like focused on. You value a good communication and a good relationship with the right pitching coach. You're going to foster that by communicating and by working together, not by like trying to be a pitching coach when you're not. And don't get me wrong, Nick was a pitcher, right? Lenny knows a lot about the biomechanics of pitching, right? I I've done a bunch of that. I've worked with some of the best pitching coaches. I've worked with big league pitching coaches, right? We can all do this to an extent. But at some point in time, somebody that specializes in is better, right? Even Dan, right? Dan can 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 teach you how to Olympic lift because he's also a train coach. He he's, he knows how to do Olympic lifting. But even Dan himself will outsource to a better coach once he gets to the point where he's like, all right, you need more of a skill, and I've I've done as much as I can. Dan and Dave, they have skills coaches that they work with in the Olympic lifting world to help them as well. Even though they both do it and they both know how to coach it, sometimes you need somebody even better than that. Right? Yeah. So, awesome. All right, what else we got? This is gonna, we're going to run over on this one. <laughs> All right, so we have Chris from Virginia. I've heard that baseball pitchers shouldn't do Olympic lifts 
When a prominent gym in my area does perform them, what do you? Why do you avoid Olympic lifts with your pitchers? That, that, was that not a perfect yeah, intro? Just, no, I, was like, I didn't, even, didn't even mean to do that. So, <laughs> Olympic lifts and baseball players. Who, Nick? You want to start this one? So, yeah. all right. So, uh, I mean, so he said I, he heard we don't do Olympic lifts with baseball pitchers, which is correct, right? right? So the question is, you know, what are your thoughts? Why that type of thing? Uh, the, the shoulders, the elbows, and the wrists, they're very sensitive, and it takes a lot to get into that rack position. And, you know, as we're doing some overhead stuff, they might not be able to even get into, like, a front rack position to catch the bar. And then they're putting a lot additional stress into the shoulders. And, you know, now they're working some weird wrist stuff, and then their forearms get involved. Now you're throwing a throwing program into that. Maybe they're throwing max effort. Where, where are they at in their season? And then... You know, you could just be doing more damage than harm, you know, in the short term and long term. Right. That's a good point. So now, Dave. Yeah. So everyone, it's kind of funny. We've seen now some Tommy Johns. Yeah. In Olympic lifters, not baseball players. Yeah, true. That, that that have, because you get in that rack position, theoretically, nobody's going straight sagittal yeah. plane. There's a valgus yeah. stress that happens, like, as you kind of get into that position. It's, we've it's seen funny. It. Dan and I were just talking about this. We're going to do probably a Facebook Live soon because if we've seen a rapid increase in the number of people we've seen for partial UCLs or, like, major medial elbow, like, blowouts, but not quite surgical candidates. And we see this in people who right. are doing Olympic lifting all the time you know, CrossFit athletes that are at the regional and games levels. And, you know, if you look at the way that Olympic lifting demands, you know, Chad Vaughn, who's a good friend of ours, you know, a lot of people promote two finger widths outside of the shoulder right. and then elbow elevation. Which, right? don't move. You know what that is? That's like a milking sign to test for UCL tears. Right, <laughs> right. And so you got to realize that this is just like on the other skill that Olympic lifters typically have very congenitally lax people from like the age of five doing like these movements, not loaded, but like they learn these patterns from a very young age. And if you don't develop the laxity and the comfortable ability, just like throwing, you don't develop the layback. If I try to throw, my elbow and shoulder hurts immediately because I don't have the same biomechanical like advantages that people have. Olympic, it's horrible. Olympic lifting, right? It took me five years before I could do it comfortably without like a lot of discomfort in my elbow, my wrist from gymnastics. I just developed a lot of adaptive stiffness. So I think that, like Nick had said, there's a, there's many other ways you can get the same end goals. And I think that we're, nobody knows the biomechanics of Olympic lifting to the point that Dan and I are looking at like medical concepts and rehab and stuff. So we're finding, yeah. <laughs> we're finding as we treat these more people, we see some big patterns about things that are concerning like wrist stiffness and oh, and shoulder motion getting made up at the elbow. So if you just, if you, so, sorry, one thing I was just going to say about the front rack is that there's so much variation between people. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about variation in people's ability to squat. It's definitely there. But for the front rack, if you get a, a room full of 10 people, there's going to be all different levels. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, no problem. This is easy. And some people are not even close. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of variation. Well, we're really focused on the front rack. Are there other positions that you can do or break it down so you're not getting into this position but still do Olympic lifting type movements? And is it worth it? So I know some people yeah. do it's it. It's tough for hand, like, a lot you know of people I mean? use hand cleans, but yeah, even just yeah. hang power cleans are... Challenging. I don't think so. You don't. You don't want to clean in the front rack. You don't want. So think about what are the adaptations of a baseball player. You're probably going to lose a little motion of, of your elbow, right? So you probably have a little bit more. You actually have more carrying angle in your throwing elbow. Mm. Your carrying angle in your elbow is not symmetrical in baseball players, right? So how on earth is your front rack position going to be symmetrical? How are you going to get a barbell in position to symmetrically want to place your arms when one of them's like this and one of them's yeah. like this? It doesn't make sense. Right, so your carrying angle is different. Your range of motion is different. You don't have as much flexion. You don't have as much extension. You probably have some articular cartilage damage in the back from valgus extension overload. You have osteophytes. You really want to lock out in a snatch position in this position, or you want to catch that clean. I'm doing this right now, and my pinky's starting to tingle. Right, from just ulnar nerve tension from this front rack position. It's not in my left hand. Right, so it just shows you the sensitivity of the ulnar nerve in my throwing side and that side. So you have all these things, but so those are all good reasons not to. You want to know the biggest reason? 
it doesn't matter if you develop that vertical strength for a baseball player. You need linear and rotational strength. Oh, excuse me, power. You don't need vertical power. Now, don't get me wrong. You, vertical power is great, right? I, I, I'll take vertical power. But there are studies that show it, that vertical power and jumps in plyometric, um, uh, excuse me, Olympic lifts and stuff like that, it doesn't carry over to linear and rotational power in baseball players. So why are you doing it? You should be doing like lateral hydens. You should be doing like med ball type things. You shouldn't necessarily be doing it in this plane. Right, and then if you look at other studies, if you do still care about that plane, their studies show that stuff like speed trap bar deadlifts, sled like fast sled pushes, and even kettlebell swings produce the same amount of power generation in that vertical plane. So again, why? So it comes down. There's like so all these like there's there's a lot of reasons like why not to, and then there's a whole bunch of other reasons what or why though. You just ask that question. So I mean, some people love it, right? It's a great strengthening and power development thing, but there are other options. And there are other reasons not to do it. So, I mean, and some people are very successful doing it, just our preference. Are we overthinking this? Maybe. <laughs> I, think, I just think that the, the higher level athlete you work with, you have to be very careful about why and what you're doing because there's a higher risk to reward, like Nick said. And I think all of us experience this when you get to college, pro, Olympic level. It's like you got to really understand why you're picking something because if you jack somebody up, you just ruined yeah, right. you know, that relationship yeah. forever. If you're just doing it because that's the strength and condition program, well, that's what like you saw on Instagram. You're in college or something <laughs> like that, right? Because that's a lot, a lot of colleges will perform football-based things. And, yeah, hey, that type of vertical explosive power is good in some field sports, right? In some jumping sports like basketball. Outfielders. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> But still, I mean. <laughs> that wall catch. You just <laughs> that wall catch. <laughs> trying to, I went trying, to the Sox game on Sunday, guys. <laughs> <laughs> trying to rob a home run. Doing, black, yep. doing power drills to rob home runs. Imagine that. Somebody's going to do that on Instagram now. We'll do that up against the plyo wall, just jumping up against the wall and just really work on that. We'll, do, we'll foam roll this whole yep. side of the body first. The lateral breathing line. techniques oh, and yeah. then jump ups against the wall. Too far? Too far? Awesome. Alright, that's good. Great episode. We'll, we'll, we'll cap it at two questions because I, I honestly think it's kind of funny. Like People ask this Olympic lifting question a lot and I feel like we've probably touched upon it. I feel like this episode can now be this is our definitive answer now, yeah. right? I think we just completed all our answers. You know, there's, you know, Nick gave good reasons like why. I mean, the, the coaches gave good reasons why. Lenny and I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you put all our thoughts together. I, I, I don't know. I just don't see why you would, you would need to do them. You don't need to do them. But anyway, thanks so much. Another great episode, baseball specific today. Um, you can go back to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and fill out the form. Any questions? Obviously, we'll take baseball, but other sports, golf, tennis, gymnastics, CrossFit athletes, whatever you guys want to talk about. PT Fitness, Sports Performance, just ask away. Head to iTunes, Spotify, rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynolds.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.